We're in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14 has become my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And if you were to ask me what my favorite chapter was three or four weeks ago, I would have said John chapter 13. It just happens to be that uh, it's easy to make your favorite that which is in front of you, kind of like a meal. Whatever's being served, that tends to be my favorite. This morning, God um, will show us some things here. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, we'll pray and. Pray that it unfolds for us and that we're receptive uh, to the Lord's instruction and his promises, all that is contained here in front of us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your book, this Bible, and we acknowledge, Lord, that We have this book because you are a speaking God. You speak to your people. Lord, we also acknowledge uh, the sacredness of this book. That this book is indeed inspired of you. It is different than all other books. Lord, we would ask right now that you would speak to us clearly and that our hearts would receive what you have to say. That you would help us to to grow in our understanding of things related to the life of a believer the life of your church. So help us, Lord, to see it, to hear it, to understand it, and cling to your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. So I think where we left off was right there in verse 18 of John 14. I want to look at these three verses, 18, 19, and 20, initially, um, and talk about what the Lord means there in 18, where he says, I will come to you. Because I believe how we interpret that uh, will open the door to what he has said before and what comes after. Right here, I believe, is the key to the understanding of this chapter. So let's look at it. There in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. So he's talking to disciples in distress. Their leader, their master is leaving the earth. 
He's about to be crucified. In fact, the next day, he will go to trial, be convicted, and die. The disciples are in disarray. One's left already to betray Jesus. One claims that he would die for Jesus, and Jesus said, no, no, uh, that's not going to happen. In fact, before the cock crows twice, I believe he said, you will deny me three times. Oh, here's what he said. I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So Peter is, the disciples are in an upheaval. And Jesus is taking this, his last moments on earth to instruct them, to give them everything they need going forward. It was extremely helpful to them then, and it is instruction for us now. So he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Over in... The first part of this chapter in verses, oh, verse 3, Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will, there it is, come again. So he talks here about coming to his disciples, coming to his church, but this is his return he's referring to in verse 3. There it is. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is his return. And then we just read here, Jesus saying, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. In this, these little three verses here, I don't think he's talking about his, I know he's not talking about his return. If we... I'm going to turn the page in my Bible and over here in verse 26, we're going somewhere. Please stay with me. It's really important uh, for us today. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Here he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. A reference to Pentecost and beyond in the church age, we call it. So what is he talking about in verse 18? I will not leave you as orphans, I will come again. I believe the context will tell us right here in verse 19. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And there it is. Because I live, you will live also. I believe right here, he's talking about his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, that he would go to the cross, that he would die, and that he would rise again on the third day. 
a reference to his resurrection. And, and why would it not be that Jesus is talking about his resurrection? After all, everything hinges on his resurrection. Everything. His resurrection validates all that was ever said, prophesied, or promised about Jesus. His resurrection validates the, the virgin birth of Jesus. Validates the earthly ministry of Jesus. His words and his works. The resurrection validates the reason why Christ died. The resurrection tells us that, or validates the promise of his return. We just read about that in verse 3. I mean, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. If, listen, if, if the resurrection is not real, we are of all men most miserable. He goes on to say, if the resurrection isn't real, your preaching is in vain. But not only is your preaching in vain, but your life is in vain if the resurrection did not happen. But at last it did happen. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And this resurrection is just this, the testimony that Jesus lives. He lives. He lives. And if he, if he doesn't live, if he's not alive, then what's the point? But he lives. He overcame death. He overcame hell. He overcame the grave. This is Jesus, the one who was crucified for us. His resurrection also validates these great statements in this chapter. We, we looked at these last week, these astounding claims that Jesus made. I mean, if it's not for his resurrection, how could we believe this? But listen to these. Verse 12. Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. What? I mean, I just, your mind is just flooded with all those works of Jesus. He changed the water to wine. He fed multitudes with fish and bread, just a boy's lunch. He raised the dead. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. I mean, how in the world would it verse? How do you understand verse 12? And, and to make matters even more interesting, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is not something you hear from somebody else. This is Jesus. The one who died, the one who rose again, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And he doubles down on this and says, greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Then he goes on and as if that's not enough in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I mean, he's piling on in there. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The resurrection of Jesus substantiates all that is said right there and the truth of what he's speaking. 
the greater works. We, we mentioned this last week. The greater works are spiritual works. I mean, who would have thought that Peter would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach? And lo and behold, 3,000 folks are saved. And then you have the church born and the gospel spreading. So we say, evidently, Jesus thinks that conversion is a great work. How many of you would agree? I would agree with that. The conversion of a soul is a greater work. It's the blessed work. And Jesus said, these greater works are you going to do? You're going to see conversions. But all of this is because what? He goes to the Father. So evidently, Jesus is able to do more at the right hand of his Father in heaven in terms of greater works than what he did when he walked on earth. Because he's got a church that he's going to direct. He's got a church that he's going to impart his spirit, his power, his wisdom. And one day his glory will fill the earth. So I love verse 12. Used to, you know, some people read it and they skip right over verse 12. We can't read that. That No, that's Jesus always put a premium on the spiritual work. In fact, he said, listen, you know, so many people followed him just because they were fed or just because they saw the signs that he performed. But Jesus would not commit himself to them in the early chapters there of John because their hearts were not with him. They were following him because of physical results. And then they translated that in their own mind to think he's going to be an earthly king. And he was not that. They could not fathom a king dying on a cross. But at last, that's what Jesus came to do because it's a spiritual endeavor. So he goes on, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. And then he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And there's the qualifier. That is asking in his name, praying in his name. That means that when you and I pray, we are to pray consistent with his character and with his will. We're not to pray in order to, as James would say, consume these things on our own base passions and because of our own nature. We're not asking for more physical things. We're not asking for greater and bigger and mightier. We're asking God to do a spiritual work in his people. And that's consistent with what he said in verse 12. I think we mentioned last week, pray the prayers of the Bible. Pray the prayers of Paul. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And pray consistently with who Jesus is and what he does. And then it gets more amazing there in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Can you imagine this? A life lived out of love for the Savior. 
Oh, I've met two or three people along the way that lived their life for the Savior. They think out of guilt. Hmm. Jesus never said live out of guilt. Jesus said live out of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, these blessings that God is revealing to us through his son are consistent and verified and ratified by the resurrection of Jesus. If it's not, if Jesus didn't rise, there's no greater work. In fact, there's no work. If Jesus didn't rise, there's no sense in praying, but he did rise. And what would we be obeying him? What would, why, where would our love go if he didn't rise? But he did rise. So there are greater works and there is this uh, desire for us to pray. I trust there's a desire in your heart as a child of God to come before God the Father in the name of Jesus and to pray. To pray the prayers of the Bible, of the New Testament. And, we, and think about this when you pray. What we bring to God in prayer are those things that we value the most. That might get us from praying so much about the physical and what we see horizontally. And it may lift our eyes to pray more for a spiritual work of God to be done. If you check Paul's prayers out in Ephesians, there's a couple good ones there. There's one in chapter one, there's one in chapter three. Over in First Thessalonians, there's more prayer. And you can also read the foundation or the thoughts and the doctrine from which those requests, those prayers rise to God. If you read those, you'll notice that that by and large, They're all about the spiritual work that God's doing in the church. If it was good enough for Paul to pray, it should be good enough for us to pray. Amen? Amen. But where we want to go today is we want to just go through the last part of this chapter here. And and this this is substantial and all of this is true Because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen from the dead. And he has a work that is being done in the here and now, as well as a work that was done then and on the day of Pentecost and and moving forward. So think about the Christian life as a journey, if you would. It's a, a journey. Uh, lately, I picked up John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress once again and reading through that. It's wonderful reading. If you haven't read it or if you haven't read it in a while, I would commit that, uh, that book. It's, a, it's an easy read, but it's, it's profound and, and helps us think about salvation. But he, Bunyan presents the Christian walk as a journey. And what I want us to think about is that Jesus here is preparing us for the journey. In other words, he's giving us 
every spiritual resource that we would need to get from here to glory. I think sometimes we err when we think only of, okay, I'm, I, I've received Jesus. I've received the forgiveness of sins. My, my salvation is secure. I have eternal life in the future. And that's true because Jesus assures his disciples there in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 14 that he's covered, the end time is covered, the eternal life is covered, life in the Father's house, he calls it there in verse 2. That place that he's prepared for us, it's all covered. But what about here to there? What's that journey look like from here to the Father's house? Well, He's giving us what we need. Think about those disciples then. I mean, they look, they look pitiful. Don't they? They're about to lose their leader and they don't know what to do. And what's Jesus doing? It seems like they should have been comforting him, but he's comforting them. Verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Wonderful. So Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another helper. I like the word another there because it leads us to wonder who was the first helper. Well, we'll answer that. It was Jesus. Jesus was helping them in that time. But he's leaving. And he says, I'm going to send another helper. And he's going to be with you. How long? Forever. That's encouraging. Those disciples needed help. Let me ask you this. How many of you need help? Oh, there's, there's a few of you saying, I got, the, I got this. I don't need any help. Really? Okay. Good for you. I think we would all not only probably raise one hand, but raise two. I need help. I mean, I, I do. I need more help. Um, and here's what I want you to hear today. This is for you. He has not left you helpless. Anybody ever needed help being a parent? Okay, if it hadn't hit you yet, fine, but it will. And then there's other things. I'm going to tell you right now, we need help. And why would we neglect the help that God wants to give us through Jesus? Why would we neglect that help? He says, I will send you another helper. This helper is the paraclete. This helper is the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you forever. He goes on. We'll get through this here. It gets better and better. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Notice, notice he refers to the paraclete as the spirit of truth. Now, I want to I make this point. There are folks who profess Jesus, who do not represent the Holy Spirit very well at all. 
In other words, they go around, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, or the Holy Spirit guided me to do that, or the Holy Spirit does this. And here's what you need to look at right here. He is, according to Jesus, he, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth. We'll read on about the Holy Spirit a little bit more. Jesus has more to say about him. But he will, he will never lie. He will never, the, he, the Holy Spirit, will never guide you to do something contrary to the scriptures. He will not do that. Let me, let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Because he's a helper. He wants to help us. He's the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, meaning he will not leave us destitute. He will not leave us on our own. He will not forget about us. He will not turn his back on us. Those who've expressed faith and trust in Jesus He will not leave us. In fact, he takes great pains to make sure we're taken care of from here to glory, from this life to heaven. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. And I'm thinking about Thomas as we read that when Thomas was kind of late to the party of recognizing or seeing Jesus, the resurrected Lord and his glorified self, uh, Jesus showed up. Thomas was all bent out of shape because he had not seen Christ in resurrection form. And Jesus showed up and what Thomas? Jesus says, here's, here's the scars and here's this hole in my side where they thrust the spear. And what Thomas say? He said, my Lord and my God, he was convinced on the spot of the divinity and the work of Jesus in dying and rising and then appearing in post-resurrection glory. So he goes on, in that day you will know, and Thomas knew and I, that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Now, here we go. What else has he given us? He's given us the helper of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, verse 22, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was getting ready to depart the earth and he's going to go to glory and he's going to prepare a place for his own. That we could be with him and abide with him for all eternity. And here he says, until then... He says, I, he says, I'll give you my word. And, and if you love me, you keep my word and my father will love him. Verse 23, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He will abide with us. So Jesus is with us from here to glory. 
And, and the second uh, essential that we need for this journey, not only do we need the helper of the Holy Spirit, but we need the Word of God. I get so excited thinking about this. These are all the resources. Jesus is covering all the bases. He's given us everything we need from here to glory. He has not left us as orphans. He has not left us to our own devices. He has not left us to our own human way of understanding and thinking. He is granting us the helper and he's granting us his word. He says, and, and he will keep my word. Look at that. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's powerful. And my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Here we are back to the helper, back to the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Isn't that something? Jesus recognizes that we will need instruction from his word and the helpers there to help us understand. And then look at this. What else does the helper do? What else does the Holy Spirit do? What does he provide? And he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I get asked this question every now and then about the house or around the house. Linda will go, now where's that verse? I'm like, what are you asking me for? I don't always remember where. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says the helper is there to help us recall the word of God. How many of you need help recalling the word of God? How many of you need help understanding the word of God? I'll raise my hands. I need all kinds of help in that area. But the helper is there for that purpose. And then the third Essential for the journey. We're moving right along. We are moving briskly. My opinion. That was my opinion. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. What? I mean, Jesus just says things that are so astounding. I mean, these guys are in turmoil. They're in upheaval. I'm sure they're whispering to each other. What in the world are we going to do? Judas is left and we go, what are we? And Jesus says, peace. I'm leaving you with my peace. There it is. My peace I give to you. Hmm. What's his peace? Well, when I think about the peace of Jesus, you know what I think about? I think about Jesus in the boat during a storm and he's asleep. Remember that one? The disciples are going crazy because this storm is assailing their boat. They're looking around for Jesus and lo and behold, he is in the back of the boat asleep. Do you wake up a sleeping Jesus? Who wants that job? Well, they, they, he woke up. They woke him up. 
And, but that's the peace. He says it. He, he says it. He, he clarifies peace. He says it's his peace. I give to you. Now, not only were those disciples in an upheaval, but, but the whole community of, of Jerusalem was in an upheaval because they're ruled by Rome. They're ruled by a foreign power. Things were not going well for them as a people. But Jesus says, hey, never mind all that. I'm going to give you my peace. How many of you could use some peace today? He says it's not the peace that the world talks about. It's his peace. It's a peace that comes from heaven. And listen, if you receive the peace that comes from heaven, the world can't take it away. Peace. I I think I need peace as a believer in Jesus on this journey, on this road to glory. I need peace. And this is a peace that can't be, it can't, it's not contrived. It, it, you can't work it up. You can't work up peace. Peace is just peace. And this peace is not dependent on your circumstances. So what are we, what are we saying? Well, the conclusion here is that no matter what, I have his peace. I can find myself in the crossfire of a hostile world and I have his peace. One day I could be on my deathbed. I'll have his peace. Listen, it's the peace that passes human understanding. But it's a peace that never leaves us. I want to walk in that peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, to you, gives do I give to you. Do not, there it is, do not let your heart be troubled. Where did we read that before? Right there in John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, said Jesus. But he says here in verse 27 again, do not let your heart be troubled. I pray your life is filled with God's peace. That you walk in that peace. Nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, verse 28, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Uh, the What number are we on? Okay, thank you. Uh, he says, re- joy will be part of this journey. So we've got a helper, we've got the word of God, we've got peace, and right here in verse 28, we we have joy. Joy is indicative of the Christian walk. Joy. Now, it's not some kind of superficial happiness. You know, happiness depends on what happens. 
But joy, again, is, is that sense of assurance in God and Jesus and his plan. And our joy is not in circumstances. It's not in the things of the world. Our joy is in Jesus. Knowing that we're on our way to the Father's house. Knowing that he's provided everything we need on that journey. That we'll never lack in him. And regardless of how things look and how circumstances come into our lives, we have the peace that passes understanding and we have the joy unspeakable, full of glory. Verse 29. Now I've told you before it happens. There it is. I've told you before it happens. Jesus is good at that. He tells us, What's going to happen? He tells us what we're going to need before it happens. So that when it happens, there it is, you may believe. And this is where the journey starts. The journey begins with faith in Christ. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you resigned your own strength and your own wisdom? And have you trusted Jesus? Have you intentionally trusted him? Belief, belief, faith, as we move forward on this journey, trust and faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's important that we continue to take the Bible in to bring the word of God close to us, cling to that word, cling to those promises. And Jesus says in verse 30, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. What a powerful statement of the holiness of Christ. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. The essentials for the Christian walk. There it is. When's the last time you thought about those essentials? I, I want to encourage you to thank the Lord for each one of those components of the Christian walk. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, love for Jesus because you're obedient to His commands. You love His Word. You love Him. You're following Him. You're being instructed by Him. And then the peace that's there and the joy that's there in our lives. I want you to be cognizant. I want you to be aware of these things in real time. When things happen that you won't be unsettled, that you won't be uh, caught by surprise but that you will be steady in the journey of keeping your eyes on Jesus and then affording yourselves all of the spiritual resources that come from heaven to the hearts of those who know and love the Savior, Jesus.
Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit just now. And Lord, we bring all the praise and all the glory to you. I pray, God, that you would continue the work in every heart. And Lord, that if there is one, even one, who does not know you today, that you would be working in their life in such a way right now as to bring about repentance and faith. And that they would see Jesus so clearly that they would be compelled to confess him and to follow him and to grow in him. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.